I came here today to talk to you about the greatest opportunity that we have ahead of us. Probably the greatest opportunity of the entire year. But sometimes in life, in order to see something or find something that's that great, you have to be able to look behind the mask. And that's exactly what Purim is all about. It's Yom Kippur with a mask. It's Yom Kippurim. Now, what's so amazing about this holiday? What's the great opportunity you're talking about, Rabbi? Well, we know right off the bat that when Mashiach comes, Bezat Hashem we know that all the Jewish holidays are going to cease to exist, except one, except Purim. Purim is going to remain even in the times of Mashiach. So right off the bat, that has to tell you that there's something about this holiday that's really a class in itself. What is it? So I'd like to begin like this. Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz writes in his works, Yarod Vash, and this is something that's highlighted as well, and we'll start with the Vilnagaon. The Vilnagaon writes that in the beginning, the story of Purim takes off in a way that really is a wow. But before we kick off, let's take this story, believe it or not, from the end. All the way at the end of the Megillah, you know what we see? Mordechai Hayudi. He comes out wearing ten garments of majesty. And in the Pasuk, you actually count all ten garments. They're described. When the Jewish people saw Mordechai wearing ten garments of majesty, at that moment, wow! We celebrate it. It's amazing. When Haman was hung, it doesn't say we celebrate it. When Haman's sons were hung, it doesn't say we celebrate it. <clears throat> but when we saw Mordechai come walking out, dressed with ten garments of royalty, that was it. That was the moment of celebration for the Jewish people. What was so significant about these ten garments of Mordechai and the Jewish people celebrating at that moment? We're going to find out, <coughs> says the Vilna Gaon, that when they saw Mordechai in those ten garments, they realized that the greatest treasure was given back to the Jewish people. What treasure could that be? What do you see in ten garments of royalty? Now, let's make no mistake. Last week's class, when we spoke about the Lamed, and Lamed that stood for Limud Torah, that amazing letter also highlights what the holiday is about. Kimu v'kibelu. Kimu v'kibelu. Here on the holiday of Purim, we accepted Torah in a way that we never had it before. Originally, Matan Torah, we accepted the Torah by force. God raised the mountain over the heads of the Jewish people, and He said to the Jewish people, If you're going to accept my Torah, good. If not, I'm going to bury you right here. So we kind of were forced 
to take the Torah. Yes, we did say Na'asev and Ishma. And when it came to the Ten Commandments, we were all in. And the moment we saw the extensity of the Torah and the Lota'a says, whoa, we started to get nervous. We needed a little convincing. So at first, the entire Torah was kept, received in a way of force. Later on, and by the way, there's a genius reason behind this, but this is not the time exactly to explain why Hashem did this, did this on purpose. He wanted us to take the Torah on purpose by force. By force. Because the Torah was our wedding. Shavuot was Matan Torah, the wedding of the Jewish people, where God was the Hatan, and we were the bride. And He wanted to take us by force. Because there's a halacha in the Torah. A man that takes and marries a woman by force could never send her away his entire life. They're bound to each other forever. No get, nothing. You can never let her go. So like this, Hashem on purpose forced us to take the Torah, married us by force. The night of Shavuot, the night of the wedding. So like this, He is forced to never be able to send us away, no matter how rebellious of a wife we may become later on. Genius. His own Torah held him to it, and he wanted it that way. Brilliant. But then came Purim. Kimu v'kibelu. We accepted the Torah for the first time, but this time, me'ava. Out of love. This time, it came from us. This time we kind of re-accepted our vows in a certain way, but out of love. Where we actually initiated and wanted the Torah. And as of last week's class, it makes a lot of sense. Last week's class we showed that the problems in the time of the story Purim really began when we became lazy in the learning of Torah. So it makes a lot of sense where at the end where the great miracle happened and the Jews were saved... We would not just up our learning from Torah, but there would be such a love connected to Torah that it saved us, that that would actually be our new Matan Torah out of love, the, whole, the story of Puri. So when I tell you that the Jewish people got something fantastic, they got the Torah again. And with the Torah, you get everything. When a Jewish home has Torah, it has everything. When a Jewish home does not have Torah, it has nothing. And this is so important for our mothers to give over to our kids. The importance of being connected to Torah the entire lives. And I tell the young ladies in the class all the time, you're not doing the rabbi a favor. If you send your husband out to learn, he comes home a better husband. Because he has the Torah running through his veins. He's a more loyal guy. He's a better balmidot. He treats his wife better. He speaks to her better. I've had a ton of these situations. Wives calling me and saying, Rabbi, what did you do to my husband? He came home tonight slamming doors. I couldn't deal with him, so I sent them out to you. Gee, thanks. <laughs> and then, after the shiur, you send them back home to me. He comes in kacha. A sweetie. Honey, I'm sorry. He's apologizing. 
He's going up to the kids and saying Shema with them. He hasn't done that in 20 years. Rabbi, what did you do to my husband? It's not me. It's not me. It's the Torah. The Torah refines a Jew and brings the best out of every Jew. We got the Torah again on Purim in such a beautiful, loving way. But says the Vilna Gaon, I'm referring to something else. When Mordechai walked out with those ten garments, the Jewish people got an incredible treasure back. They got the greatest blessings of history, and they got the Torah as well. Really? What blessings is he referring to? What's he talking about? So, lady, this amazing Sheol really starts from the works of Rabbi Yonatan Eipschitz and Yarod Vash. And this is the way he highlights it. I'm going to give it to you over to you the way he says it. He says, Haman min ha-Torah minayin. Where do we know Haman in the Torah? Hamin ha-etz. And I think we spoke about that. Hamin ha-etz. From all stories, you find Haman. The remez is by the story of Adam and Chava. And the Nachash. Yes. So last week we spoke about the fact that Haman used the word af, and the Nachash used the word af, because you take the letter Aleph, and if you drop the Lamed, which is Torah, you end up with af, anger. Without Torah, all there is is destruction and anger. So they tried to take the letter Aleph and drop the Lamed and turn from Aleph to af, and bring anger on the Jewish people, because we got lazy and we dropped the Limud, the learning of Torah. Last week we said something crazy, that that's what the Nazis, Yemach Shemam, were trying to do. Their swat sticker actually comes from the letter Aleph. If you look at that swat sticker in your mind's eye, it's actually a letter Aleph. Yeah? If you, if you twist that letter a little bit, you'll get a swat sticker. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to twist the Aleph. Because the minute you drop the Lamed, all there's left is Af. Charon Af, the angel of destruction. That was last week's class. This week we're saying a new idea. Haman menat Torah minayin. Haminayetz. Not because he used the word Af, that was last week, but for a different reason entirely. Because it's very interesting. Adam was able to eat from anything he wanted. But there was one thing he wasn't allowed to eat from. Haman had everything he wanted, but there was one guy he couldn't have. And that was Mordechai. And believe me when I tell you, oy, what came out. Adam had shown sinned. And at that moment, Hashem cursed him. With how many curses? Rashi over there counts. And he goes through... Ten different curses. And each one is maybe more terrible than the next. You're going to have to sweat at the sweat of your brow to make a living now. The land is not going to produce that easily. You're not going to be able to eat the bark of the tree. You're not going to be able to... I mean, you go through death brought to the world. Ten curses. After the sin... He was left with ten kilalot. So now who's going to fix the world? Who is going to fix this terrible ten strew curses? 
that Adam brought to the world. So now Hashem was looking for a great nation, a chosen nation, that their forefathers were going to begin the process of being metaken, to fix Adam Arishon and the ten kelalot, the ten curses that were brought to the world due to Adam. And sure enough, who was the first to step up? Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, the one that was able to recognize Hashem. Avraham Avinu was the first. However, although Avraham Avinu began the process, his children were not perfect. Abraham had Yitzchak, but he also had Ishmael. But ladies, already you start seeing the sifting process. We're starting the process of borer. You remember the milacha that you learned in school, borer? The concept on Shabbat that you're not allowed to separate the bad from the good? That's called borer. There is a borer process, a process of separating bad from good, starting with Abraham in order to fix Adam. We take Abraham and we take the bad and send it to Yishmael. And all the good went to Yitzchak. And then Yitzchak gets married. And now maybe Yitzchak is going to be the one to fix Adam and Ishan. Let's look at his kids. No? He also has an Esav. So again, we're stepping up Borer. We're taking Yitzchak. All the bad went to Esav. And all the good went to Yaakov. Okay. Now Yaakov gets married. Once, twice, three times, four times. Now Yaakov's children. Oh, they're all perfect. Yaakov, the Bechir Ha'avot. He's the one that's going to be able to be the perfect Adam to fix the mess up of Adam Arishon. Maybe he could be the one to rid the world of the ten klalot of man. How is he going to do that? And there was that fateful night. The night of Birkat Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu tells his sons, he told Esav, go out and catch me a catch. Go out and get me shnei gidai izim. Go out and bring me shnei gidai izim. Esav goes out and Yaakov Avinu is turned. His mother tells him, now's the moment. Now you have to go in. You're the true Bechor. Go in and get the blessings. Yaakov Avinu goes into his father in a Purim costume. Yeah. This is the first historical found Purim costume in history. Yaakov dressed up as Esav. See, Yaakov Avinu went to the costume store. And in those days, you know, everyone loves to dress up like villains. The only villain costume in the whole store was Esav. There was nobody else around in those days. There was no Saddam Hussein, no Obama. Those costumes weren't around yet. The only bad guy in those days was Esav. So you come into the costume store and all they had was these red coats all over the place. Red furry coats. Red minks. So he went and he came and dressed up as Esav. Oh. We're starting to see a little bit of a connection now to the story of Purim. We have Yaakov in a costume, dressed up as somebody else. And he comes into his father, and his father says, Hakol kol Yaakov, esav. The voice sounds like the voice of Jacob. But the hands, on the other hand, the costume, that's Esav. 
Who are you? Who are you dressed up as? You know, we ask the kids on podium, who are you dressed up as? Who are you dressed up as? <laughs> who are you dressed up as? And sure enough, Yitzchak Avinu goes and he gives Yaakov Avinu the greatest blessings. Do you know what night that night was? That night was the night of Pesach. And that's why he asked his son to bring Shnei Gedei Ezim. One for the Korban Pesach and one for the Korban Chagiga. And they were going to eat together. And if you take a look in the Psukim, now's not the time because this isn't the class for it, but you'll see, maybe when we get to Pesach, we'll re-highlight this. You'll see in the Psukim that they drank the four cups, the Arba Kosot. And in the Psukim, it's also a beautiful remez for Afikoman, that they ate the Afikoman together. This was Yitzchak Avinu and Yaakov Avinu doing the Passover said they're together in a Purim costume. We got the holidays all together on this one. That's a good question. Nonetheless, they had the said there together. And at the end of the said there, Yitzchak Avinu turns to Yaakov Avinu and he gives him the greatest blessings of history. All the amazing blessings. How many? Says Rashi, counted. There are ten blessings. Why ten blessings? In order to counteract the ten curses that Adam had shown God. Adam Arishon got ten curse. Yaakov Avinu got ten blessings to counter out those kilalot. So now we'll be a peoples beyond everyone else. Everybody else is still fell or held to the curses of man, but not the Jewish people. We're like the number eight. We're above the world. We're above Teva. We're beyond this world. We're a people that's beyond head and shoulders above everyone else. Yes, we became the chosen people when we accepted the Torah by Har Sinai. But it started on this night. This night was the moment of the Jewish people's rise. We were given the ten greatest blessings of history. And therefore, the ten curses of man no longer affected us. We could have been immortal coming out of that night. But then what happened? Yaakov leaves and Esav comes in. And here comes Esav. He's not dressed in a costume. That's the way he looks all year long. <laughs> he comes in Esav and he says, Dad, get up, eat, and bless me. Yalla, let's get this over with. That's the way Esav spoke, says Rashi, says the Midrash. No, me don't. No. Although his respect for his father, his kibbutz Avayim was bigger than anybody else. But that was the way Rasha speaks. Kibbutz Avayim is one thing and me don't is something else. His father says, Huh? I gave all the berachot to Yaakov. I have nothing left for you. What do you mean you have nothing left? One second, let me get this straight. Just because you blessed one son, that means... You're all out. You have nothing left for the next son, right? 
Can you imagine somebody goes to Ruchaim Kanievsky, Shalita in Eretz Yisrael, and he comes and he finally, after waiting online, he finally gets up those stairs and he finally gets into the room and he's standing in front of the Gadola door and his face is like the sun is shining. And you come up to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, please, I want a blessing for a son. And he tells you, Buha, Berachavatzlacha. Okay, thank you. Ah, now my trip to Israel was worth it. And then a minute later, another guy comes walking in. Rabbi, I need a blessing for a son. Sorry. We're all out. I just gave the last guy the blessing for a son. I, I, what do you mean? He needs a son. I need a son. What, what, is, what, what does one have to do with the other? What does that mean? I have no more blessing for you. Because I gave Yaakov blessing, therefore I can't bless Esav. And the answer, ladies, these weren't blessings. These were the 10 greatest blessings of history that were made to counteract the 10 kalalot of man. And that could be given only to one. Those blessings I already gave away. Esav got so angry. You gave him the big blessings. What about me? Didn't you leave me one? They come in a package of 10? No. I gave them all 10. <sighs> Esav drops one tear. And there went the first Bet HaMikdash. Esav dropped the second tear. There went the second Bet HaMikdash. And then the third tear was lingering on his eyelash. And Yitzchak says, stop. One second. Okay. Hold that. Hold that tear. One second. I have a blessing for you. Till now, when I gave Yaakov Avinu the ten blessings of history, they were unconditional. Now, I'm going to make him conditional. I'm going to make a condition that's very similar to a seesaw. And that is, that yes, Yaakov got the ten greatest blessings tonight. But it will remain his only when he's good. But if you, Esav, get him to fall, then when he falls, you will rise. Like a seesaw. When one side goes down, automatically, the other side goes up. And now the ten greatest blessings of history became conditional on who is up and who is down, who is good and who is not. The wording that Rashi uses to describe this amazing phenomenon that took place that night. The standoff between Yaakov and Esav. How no longer now are they just brothers. Now they're opposites. Till now they were twins. They both had a shot at the same. No, no. Now they're arch enemies. They're, ar they're opposites. They're a nemesis one to another. They were the exact, now they became black and white. Where one is up, the other one is down. The other one's down, the other one's up. It's amazing. What are the words that Rashi says? Listen to this. Zenofel vizekam. Zenofel vizekam. When one falls, the other one rises. And this is going to be the condition of the 10 greatest blessings of history. And now whoever has those blessings, they're even above the curses of men. They're above the world. 
And that's what was set that night in stone. The night of Passover. And every year, the night of Pesach, Hashem goes to look to see who's up and who's down. And if we fall on that night, Esav rises. And if Esav falls on that night, we rise. Zenofel, come. Ladies, do you know who knew this secret? Haman knew this secret. Haman, when he rolled the dice, he peeled poor Huagoral when he was looking for the dates to try to figure out when would be the right time to try to strike against the Jewish people. It was all on black magic. And you'll see in the Midrash, it speaks about he tried one month, but that month had holidays. He tried another month and another month. Finally, he came to the month of Adar. He was so excited because that was the month that Moshe Rabbeinu died. Little did he know. That was also the month that Moshe Rabbeinu was born. Little did he know that that month stands for the month of Torah, which is going to be the future Matan Torah Mini, which is Purim. Kimu Kiblu. And that's what ended up doing him in. The month that you thought you can get us was the month that got you. But, Haman knew the secret. And he says, I know what to do. If I can get these people to fall, oh boy, will I rise to power. At that time he was a barber. At that time he wasn't anybody special. But he went from a barber to Bill Gates in no time. How did he do that? And here's the secret. Are you ready for this? Says the opening of Megillat Esther. Here's now where we start from the beginning. The beginning says that Ahasuerus threw a party. By the way, do you know the real reason for the party? Now that we can graduate from what we heard as kids. The real reason Ahasuerus threw that party was because he erred in his calculation of the 70 years that the Navi said that we're going to be taken back to Israel and rebuild the second Bet HaMikdash. He erred in his cheshbon, thinking the 70 years are up and nothing happened. So because Ashverosh was elated, that's it, showed the Jewish people, they're not going nowhere. They're staying right here in my kingdom, in Shushan Abira, in Paras. Take out the Kelim of the Bet HaMikdash. It will never be rebuilt. And we'll show them that we're going to defile them. This whole party was really against us. That's really what it was. That his kingship will live on and on and on. And the Jewish prophet wasn't right. He was off. But he didn't know that. So now let's think. The Megillah says, how long was the party? 180 days. How long is 180 days? Six months. The party started on Aleph Tishrei, on Rosh Hashanah. That's some day to throw a party. On Rosh Hashanah, the party began. Six months. What's six months? Aleph Nisan. But wait one second. There are three months that are missing one day. There are three months that don't have 30 days. So that means it's not really Aleph Nisan. It's Gimel Nisan. Gimel Nisan, says the Megillah. And after that, he threw a party in Shushan. Yamim, Rabim. Says the Gemara, Yamim is two, Rabim is three. Two and three is five. So five days after Gimel Nisan is Chet Nisan. And now comes the time for the after party. He threw the after party 
just for the people in Shushan Abira and for the Jewish people. And how long did that last party go for? Seven days, one week. What's seven days plus Chet Nisan? Tetvav Nisan. Do you know whose idea it was to throw that last party? Haman. Let's get them into a party on Tetvav Nisan, the night of Pesach. Because this is the night. This is due day. The night that God looks to see if they're up or if they're down. And if they're up, they'll stay up. But if they're down, oh boy, will they fall. That's the night to get them to fall. And that's what it means that we came to the Seuda Shel Oto Rasha. And we came on the night of Passover to the party of Ahasuerus against the rabbi's advice. Mordechai said, don't you dare go. Don't go. You don't understand. This is a trap. No, rabbi, what do you mean? There's glut kosher food on the island. What's the problem? There's a minyan with 300 people. Okay, there are bathing stuff, but, but come on. What's the issue? No, we know better. We're going to the, and we went to the party. Boy, did we go to the party. We fell into every sin. The Gemara says every sin that one can do happened that night to the Jewish people. Every sin, every Aveda. And that night, Haman rose. And boy, did we fall. Zenophel, Vizekam. We fell. And he took off from being a barber to Bill Gates. And right after this story, what is the next chapter in Megillah say? Achar hadvarim Guess who shows up? Haman. He's the wealthiest guy in the world. He's the wealthiest guy in the world. He's the right-hand man of the king. He's the king's best friend. He has it made. And Mordechai realized what he did. And so did Esther. They realized that he set us up on the big night. And boy, did we fall. And when we fell, he rose to power. And now we have an Amaleki who really really is out to destroy us. Says Esther HaMalka, the way he got us to fall through a party is the way I'm going to get him to fall through a party. He threw a party and got us to fall. I'm going to throw a party and I'm going to get him to fall. You see, Haman did not suspect Esther at all. Why? The Midrash writes that Esther had chen, there are many different ter interpretations of what Chen meant. One interpretation means that anyone that looked at Esther saw a girl from their own country. So if an Italian looked at Esther, he saw an Italian girl. You know, a French guy, a French girl. When Haman looked at Esther, you know what he saw? Hillary Clinton. <laughs> That's what he saw. I don't know if you saw that, those things, like Gematria Hillary Clinton's Gematria Amalekia, right? That's what he saw. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it is a, it is a, yeah, well, that's something else. That, that I can't say because we're being taped. But anyways, but Amalekia, that's, that's what he was left with. Amazing. So because of this, 
he never suspected that she was against him, just the opposite. He thought that she was in cahoots with him. And when he heard that Esther called the party and invited the king and Haman, he was amazed. Oh, she's one of my girls. This is going to work. And sure enough, he came to that party. Now, Esther was very smart. Esther knew that Haman would be on the highest level of defense the night of Pesach, because that would be the night that he knows is due day. That's the night that's Kovea everything. So she didn't invite him that night. Oh, she had to throw him off on a decoy. Says Rabbi Yonatan Eitritz, when the Jewish people started fasting for three days, the first day was Yud Gimel Nisan. So when did she invite him? Yud Gimel Nisan. Haman says, Yud Gimel Nisan, I'm good to go. There's nothing special about that day. Nothing could happen to me on that day. So sure enough, he came to the party on Yud Gimel Nisan. And Esther looks at Haman, looks at the king and says, Imamelech Tov, please, can you come back tomorrow for a party? Did you ever ask yourself, what is she doing? Did you ever ask yourself? It always bothered me. She makes a party to ask to come back again, to ask to come back again. Well, what is she doing? The answer is she's doing genius. Brilliant. She invited him on the Yud Gimel Nisan, a day that his guard isn't up, to invite him again on Yud Dalit Nisan. And now he says, wow, she's really into me. Wow. To invite him and say, Mamelech Tov, please can you come back one more day? And sure enough, the king and Haman comes back on the final day, the final party, which was Tetvav Nisan. It was Pesach. And just then the king turns to Esther and says, My queen, please tell us already what's going on. Why are you calling us to this party? And she says, I will tell you. Ki ami, aniv ami, me and my nation, Nimkarnu, we were sold to be killed, to be slaves, to be slaughtered. Really? By who? Haman Harasha. Haman Haraazeh. And she points to Haman. And Aman says, Uli, what's today? He looks at his calendar. Oh no, she did it to me. What I did to her, what I did to the Jewish people on the night of Pesach, Zenofel, the Zekam, she just turned the tables on me. She just did to me. And sure enough, at that moment, Achashverosh realizes also what just happened. He also realized she's a Jew. And she just switched the tables on him of what he did to the Jews on his rise to power on the very same night, on the night of Passover, the night of the due date, the night that describes who gets those 10 great blessings. And at that moment, what does Ashverosh say? He says, Mihu ze Do you know what he's saying? He's deciding. Who is he going to side with? If he sides with Esther, Haman falls. If he sides with Haman, Esther falls. So he says to himself, Zenofel Vizekam. Mi hu ze, which is going to be the ze that's going to be Nofel, Vezehu, and which is going to be the ze that's going to come? Who should I go with? My wife or my best friend? 
So he goes out to the Gina to go think. And outside in the Gina, you had the angels ripping apart his favorite garden. Ahasuerus was into gardens. He came from a forest. He loved forests. And there in his bonsai garden, the angels are ripping out the trees. And they start getting him angry and worked up. And just then Ahasuerus comes walking in. And what does he see in front of him? Haman is falling on the bed of Esther. But what is the word used in the Pasuk? The Haman nofel. Now it should have said the Haman nafal, right? That's past tense. He fell on the bed. No. The Haman nofel. Zenofel vezekam. And at that moment, that's all Ahasuerus needed to see. Off with his head. And sure enough, Haman was hung. It's an amazing idea that the moment he fell was the moment we got the 10 greatest blessings back. And that was the moment that Mordechai walked out wearing the 10 royal garments. And when the people saw those 10 garments of majesty, that was the moment that everyone, wow, that was the moment that everyone celebrated. Because those 10 garments were symbolizing that we got the 10 greatest blessings back. Ladies, you'll never look at Purim again the same after you hear this. Because now you understand that Purim stands for the celebration of the Jewish people getting the 10 greatest blessings back. This is the day that we can get the greatest blessings the entire year. The blessings you can get on Purim, you cannot even compare to any other day of the year. And it's such an etratzon. It's such a day that you can ask Hashem for anything. And the heavens are open completely. The greatest day of prayer is the day of Purim. The greatest day of blessings is the day of Purim. It's all Purim. And that's why this is the greatest opportunity a few days away. And we got to use this opportunity as much as we can. Pray your hearts out on Purim. Give each other blessings on Purim. Get blessings from rabbis on Purim. It's power. It's the powerful day. It's the day of the ten greatest blessings. That's the story of Purim. That's why we celebrate it. And there's something that really takes these blessings to a new level. Shulchan Aruch writes that this is the day. Anyone that stretches out their hand, today on the day of Purim, you give. During the year, you have paperwork, let me see, legit, not legit, Purim, we don't look. Whoever reaches out their hand, you give. And that's why in Lakewood, and I've told you this many times, a week before Purim, you walk into a bank, nobody has singles. They already came and wiped the place out of all their singles. There are people already coming already a week or two weeks before. They drop a $100 bill, hundreds of singles. You have an account there? Yes. Hundreds of singles, singles, singles. And they walk around all day Purim with hundreds of singles. Why? Because lest anyone asks them for anything. Here, here's a single. Here, here. And they give out hundreds of singles so that they can give anyone who stretched out their hand to ask. Why are they so into this amazing halacha. And the answer says, is HaKadosh, is because on Purim, when you give others, Hashem says, you gave others that reached their hand out to you, I'm going to give you. Whatever you reach your hand out to me, 
I will give you on Purim, regardless if you deserve it or not, regardless if you're Ra'oi or not. Today is the day that we just give and give and give and give. Today is the day about blessings. Today is the day about praying. Today is the day about giving and giving to another Jew. And Hashem does the same with us. So let me just tell you a little something about giving and then we'll close the class. Everybody here heard about a guy by the name of Howard Schultz. He is the CEO and owner of Starbucks Coffee, a Jew, billionaire. Him and his partners once, him and his partners once came out to Israel, to Jerusalem. And you'd think from all places to visit, where did he come to visit? He came to the Murray Yeshiva. He heard about this place of 20,000 guys sitting and learning Torah in Jerusalem. And he wanted to meet the Rosh HaYeshiva. And he met Rav Nassim Svi Finkel, Zechet Tzadik Lebracha, the Rosh HaYeshiva of the Mary Yeshiva. And there, Mr. Starbucks himself, with all his partners, come into the little meager room of the great Rav Nassim Svi Finkel, the Gidolim of America, and later on the Gidolim of Israel. It was an American boy. He grew up, graduated in, in a public school, but later on became the Gedolim of Israel. They sat down by the rabbi. Renaissance Svi was stricken with Parkinson's disease. It was tremendous pain. But he sat and gave them the time. And he turned to them and he said, he said to Mr. Schultz and to his partners, what do we learn from the Holocaust? And one guy said, Never again. He says, yes, that's nice. What else? Another guy says, we need an army. He says, yes, we, we have an army. Yeah. What else? They were quiet. Rabbi, what are you getting at? So I'll tell you what I'm getting at. He says, you know what we learned from the Holocaust? We learned from the Holocaust that six Jews can sleep on one plank of wood and be covered by one blanket as long as each one was looking to cover the other one. You see, when they got off those trains, they were cattle carred out to Auschwitz. When they got off those trains, every sixth person was handed a blanket. And when they got to the barracks, after they were stripped of everything in the world, even their clothing, they walked in there with these flimsy little pajamas in freezing weather. The guy with the blanket had to make a huge decision. Do I share this blanket with anybody else? Or do I keep it for myself? And says Rav Nassim Svi Frinkel, nine out of ten Jews in Auschwitz shared the blanket with the other five guys who didn't get one. He turns to Mr. Starbucks and his crew and he says, gentlemen, God gave you a blanket. Spread it over the Jewish people. Wow. That's a gadol. True. That's a gadol. That's what it means to be a gadol. It's amazing. You know, <laughs> Mr. Starbucks looks back at Ramnasan Sweet and says, Rabbi, you, you, you hit us like a... Wow. What can I do for you? How can I spread my blanket to you? At that time, the Murray Yeshiva had a $2 million budget monthly. Monthly. Howard Schultz took out a check, blank check, hands it to Rav Nassim Svi and says, Rabbi, fill in the number. 
whatever you want, fill in the number. Ramnasan Svi with his Parkinson's in such pain, he picks up the pen barely and he fills out the check for $1,200. And he rips out the check and then he leans over and he hands the $1,200 check to Howard Schultz and he tells him, take this check and go across the street from the Murray Yeshiva, there's a Judaica store, and buy yourself a pair of tefillin and wear it every single day. And do that for me. You see, most people, when they were handed a blank check, you know what they'd be thinking? How much can I take from this guy? Rav Nassim Svi was thinking, how much can I give this guy? That's a gadol. That's what it means to be a Jew. That's what it means to be a Jew. We're not about us. We never were about us. We're about that guy with the blanket that was spreading it on other people. And therefore, ladies, I need you to hear this. Purim is about giving. Mishloach manot, matanot lebionim. Give and give and give. And the more you give, the more Hashem says, you opened your hand, you stretched your blanket out to others, you gave to others. Now I'm going to give and give and give to you on this day. I'm going to give you all the berachot that you asked for. I'm going to give all the prayers that you prayed. I'm going to give you all today because that's what today is about. I am collecting this year. Matanot lebionim for one rabbi who in my opinion is one of the quietest and biggest rabbis in America. He's at Gaon. He's tremendous in Torah. He learns Yomam Valayla. He doesn't have food to put on his table. But he has a 20-year-old daughter that's been sitting at home for almost a year now. And no one will go out with his daughter. Because everybody knows, all the Shadchanim, that there's no way this rabbi, although he's nicknamed the Chazonish, they nicknamed him that. That's how big he is. But they also know there's no way he can put a wedding together. I said, I'm going to help him this year. Because this is Matanot Lebionim, the real deal. You know, all year you don't know who you're giving to and if it's legit. I know at least on Purim, the day that the giving needs to count the most, I have someone real. Real. And therefore, please, open your hearts. I give it on the day of Purim to him, which is the major and main mitzvah of the way to give it. Real Matanot Lebionim. And Bezat Hashem. The number that you can reach out to is 732. I want to tell you the shul number. Do you have the shul number on you? What is it? 520. Let's get this number down, Pat. The number is 732 520. I forgot the last four numbers because they changed. Oh, 0557. Again, 732-520-0557. Please, please, text in, WhatsApp, whatever you want. But send in as much as we can. On the day of Purim, I'm going to be given to him. And mamash, we could be zocheh to have another Esther HaMalka. Another Esther HaMalka in Klal Yisrael in the zechut of the giving of this Purim. And Hashem should bless you and should give you everything you ask for. Be'ezat Hashem this year on Purim. Thank you.